I personally wouldn't, but I will give you the option if you want to try. After three, though, I would not. But again, that's because I've had a loss and I'm only willing to take so many risks. Not saying anything about anyone who chooses to take those risks. You know, people's explanations and people's wants are just as valid as mine. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Happy Monday, everyone. This week on the podcast, we have part two of Addie's story featuring birth after stillbirth. If you missed last week, she shared all about her pregnancy and emergency C-section with her first daughter, Sophie, who unfortunately died shortly after birth due to what can only be described, like I said, as negligence on the part of her labor and delivery team. So awful. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, it is an emotional episode, but one that gives context to today's part of the story. Here in part two, you'll hear Addie share about the birth of her rainbow baby, and then in her words, her pot of gold baby, an empowering VBAC after two previous C-sections. Like I said last week, Addie is a fabulous storyteller, and it was an absolute pleasure to have her on the show. I do want to give a trigger warning, though, before we get into this week's episode. Addie does discuss birth after stillbirth, grief, and birth trauma, so if you're not in a place to listen to this type of story, I invite you to close out of this episode and we'll reconnect next week. Otherwise, let's get right back into where we left off last week. Which is a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to get into that subject or should we move on to baby number next? (laughs) We'll say baby number next. (laughs) It's just that it does kind of matter because getting the antibodies did affect the two pregnancies I had after that. Makes sense. So I did want to bring it up just for that reason. Yeah. So anyway, I found out I was pregnant with my second. Oh, I will mention that we had her cremated and now I have her at home with me and she has her own shrine, if you will, in my house in the corner. And my daughter has her own Sophie weighted bear. Six pounds, eight ounces. Yes, yes. Yes. I have four of them. (laughs) I have an ungodly amount. But anyway, found out I was pregnant with my first rainbow baby about three months later after my loss and I was terrified I'm sure absolutely positively terrified excited but more terrified than anything and you know I actually thought to myself at one point do I even want to be pregnant again because what if that happens again yeah exactly very very real fear and so I struggled with that Time kind of goes on my first trimester, basically nothing, no morning sickness or not much of it craved, ironically, steak, which is weird because in my previous part of that, I I couldn't eat meat at all. But yeah, with her, I craved like steak and Alfredo. And then at my 12 week, the first ultrasound you get, 
they're mm-hmm. checking the nuchal, mm-hmm. nuchal translucency. Yeah, nuchal. yeah. All that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's it. And they do the first trimester panel at that time. And I get a phone call from the doctor, different doctor than who I was previously seeing in case anybody was wondering. And he's like, you know, we found something kind of concerning in your lab work. I'd like to bring you in to talk to you. And of course, when he says this, I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, I would be like, oh, God. freaking wreck. Uh, and I'm like, oh, God. And he's like, it's not as bad as you think, but I would like to come in to talk to you because this will change the course of your treatment over the course of your pregnancy. So I actually brought my significant other at the time in with me. And we talked to the doctor and he's like, you know, we found antibodies in your lab work because you know how they test you for antibodies in your first trimester or second trimester lab work. He's like, we found antibody little C, which I got from the blood transfusion when I had Sophie, which is why I brought it up earlier because gotcha. people were going to wonder how I got it. And that's how through the blood transfusion. It's very confusing. So I'm just going to give you it is. A I'm a nurse version. and I still don't fully understand it, but it is confusing. <laughs> blood it typing is, is like really confusing. weird. It is very confusing. I could not do hematology nursing. Yeah, uh-uh. No, me either. <laughs> well, I guess maybe I could because I have such a good amount of knowledge on it now that I've lived it. True, true. Yes. I don't know. It's just, it's a whole other can of worms. But anyway, yeah, he's like, you know, we found these antibodies in your system. This potentially poses a threat to your unborn baby. And I'm like, how? And he goes, well, these antibodies can bind to the antigen in your blood and essentially destroy your baby's red blood cell system, destroying their lymphatic system. I don't know. I can't remember. It's been a while. (laughs) And he's like, we're going to need you to see maternal fetal medicine, which is just a sub-branch of obstetrics and gynecology for high-risk women. And he's like, they'll explain to you more then. So I first see them at 14 weeks. And they confirm the antibody little C. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to do a special scan of your baby's brain every four weeks at first. That's how they can tell if your baby is becoming anemic from your antibodies being in their system. And they're like, if that starts to look concerning and it's concerning three times in a row, then we will do what is called an intrauterine blood transfusion. It just basically, they take a vial of their blood type. So my kids are both A positive. So they would take A positive blood that does not have the antibody and they would take a needle and go through my belly and put it into their umbilical cord. Yeah. Wild and crazy. Yeah. Wild and crazy, but amazing that they get amazing. Yes. Yes. Can you imagine what it would be like to have that at a time when that wasn't an option? Not so. A lot of times your baby just wouldn't survive. So I'm grateful for that at least. Luckily for me, my first baby never had any problems with the antibodies until she was born. Her pregnancy, for the most part, was uneventful. Yes, I had saw the doctor like every week because of the antibody thing. I saw maternal fetal medicine for most of that. They scanned me whenever I asked. If I wanted an ultrasound, they let me have it, thankfully. Yeah. Because I do think that that helped a lot with the anxiety and the fear. Yeah. And again, nothing anyone said could even convince me that she was going to come out alive. I was 100% prepared to leave the hospital without a baby again. Your mind automatically does that as a defense mechanism. Mechanism, yeah. So anyway, I opt to have a planned C-section. 
for a couple of reasons, but it mainly just boiled down to fear of the labor process, not fear of myself laboring, fear of her laboring or of something happening to her in the labor process was kind of made up for me by her. She decided that she wasn't going to come out vaginally. Okay. My water broke at 37 and four. And after about 12 hours, I didn't progress. And while that hospital did allow VBACs Mm -hmm. after one cesarean, they would not induce a VBAC even if your water broke and you didn't progress. Gotcha. But I guess now thinking about it, even if they had offered it, I still would have turned it down. More than likely, I would have still turned it down and just asked for them to take her out yeah. just for her safety's sake. So after about 12 hours, yeah, didn't progress. And, you know, the midwife said, like, you know, we can keep trying if you want. And I'm like, nah, I'm done. Just yeah. take her out. Yeah. Nope, just take her out. So they did. And they're like, okay, well, we'll take you back at 1130, 12 o'clock. And it was about huh, maybe 8 o'clock at the time, maybe 9. And then about 10 minutes later, she walks back in the room. She's like, actually, we have an opening. Would you like to go have a baby right now? <laughs> I said, yes, I would love that. Thank you. <laughs> She's like, okay, here's your surgical gate. You put your hair in. Yeah. You know, she gave me my hat. All the things. I kept on my grieving necklace that has my daughter's ashes in it. Cause I forgot to mention earlier, I did put some of Sophie's ashes in a memorial necklace Pretty, urn. Yeah. Thank you. That's also her birthstone, by the way. And they let me keep it on because I, I know that they don't like you to wear jewelry in the OR, but I was not taking it off. Yeah. <laughs> so they let me keep it and place the spinal. It's kind of hard to place because I have scoliosis and I didn't know it at the time, which is the reason that my epidurals prior to that had never worked mm, and probably never will. Yeah. Probably sense. never will. So yeah, placed the spinal, finally got it placed, made sure I was numb. I was terrified, crying, <laughs> scared. Having surgery while awake, that's a pretty daunting task. It is. Yeah. People think it's like no big deal, but if you really think about it, you're like, that is pretty wild that, some, that I'm awake right now and somebody's cutting into me. That's pretty barbaric. That sounds like something you would do back in the 20s, back in yeah. like 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they take her out and they pull her out and she lets out a yell. <laughs> she entered the world with a scream. And she has not stopped. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So she's one of those. Just like my second I'm one. That's just, how my second one is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's not so much anymore. But yeah, maybe when she turned one, she started being real loud. Yeah. <laughs> Making up for all the time she didn't cry as a That's newborn, right. I guess. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was pretty normal stay. They monitored her bilirubin and her jaundice right after she was born. As a result of the antibodies being in her system, they were making sure that she wasn't going to tank mm-hmm. and that her, you know, her blood counts weren't going to tank either. Yeah. They got up to about a 14, but then they started going down and they stayed that way. So after they'd stayed that way for about a day, they're like, okay, you guys can go home. You know, she's probably not going to see any lasting effects, which is normal for the first baby to be that way. Babies with antibodies, it is normal for the first baby to not suffer effects, but it tends to get worse with every baby that you have. So that will come into play a little bit later when I talk about my second. So I took her home, pretty normal postpartum. At about eight weeks, I had a small hemorrhage at home. And so I went to the emergency room at my local hospital, not the Mm -hmm. one I had her at, but they said everything was fine. It was just a little bit of retained placenta that was, you know, coming out. Got put on some iron to help with the blood counts since I did lose a fair bit of blood. But I didn't need a blood transfusion or anything like that. Thank God. Yeah. And that was pretty much it for her. 
Yeah. So now let's move on to baby number two. And I know this one's a little bit different. And you said, okay, remind me, two years and seven months. So how long was it in between now that you got pregnant with your second one? So between my rainbow and my pot of gold, which is the <laughs> second <that>. baby <laughs> you have after yeah. a loss. <laughs> love it. Yeah. My rainbow was about eight months old when I got pregnant with my pot of gold. Not planned. And in fact, uh, actively trying to prevent. Ah. <laughs> so was on the pill. <laughs> okay. So that and didn't really work. <laughs> and I was still exclusively breastfeeding my eight-month-old at the time. Okay. So yeah. So very clear evidence that, yeah, that's a not It was a... just meant to be. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow. Okay. So I'm sure that was a total shock to you. It was. <laughs> it was. And I knew that for this pregnancy, I started looking into VBACs. I had briefly looked into it with my rainbow, but with her, I was more concerned about getting her out with no risk to myself or her, whatever way was safest. I was not very interested in like VBACs at all. I, I had just heard of it, but I was not like, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like I needed it at the time for my grieving and for other reasons. But this time I was very interested and the reason is because I potentially may want more children. And if I do, I know that the more C-sections you have, they really like to limit the number of C-sections you have. But if I can make do with vaginal births, then that opens the door to being able to have more children down the road. So for that reason, I started really looking into like VBACs after two cesareans. And I was never able to find something local to me. And the one place I could find that allowed it, they would not induce. And because of those antibodies, you have to have a baby early, 37, 38 weeks to prevent stillbirths and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bad outcomes in general. So I was never really able to find a supportive provider per se. So for that reason, I decided to stay with who I saw with my rainbow because I did like the office themselves. They were nice to me. They cared about my baby. If I wanted a scan, they gave it to me. If I wanted to be monitored, they gave it to me. It was never an argument. So for that reason, I stayed even though my wants for birth and their wants for birth were just a little bit different. That'll come into play later. As far as my pregnancy with him goes, I had morning sickness the entire pregnancy. Oh, yuck. I could not really eat much of anything. (laughs) If I could, it was salty crackers ginger ale occasionally i could get by with drinking a milkshake Mm. sometimes not even that often but for the most part it was just like soup and crackers so he weren't into the sour gummy worms with this one actually weirdly (laughs) enough yeah i could do the sour oh you could do those okay (laughs) only because only for like the third trimester because i happened to be going through my daughter's memorial box that day and i remember saying you know, I had a little bit of morning sickness with Sophie and the sour gummy worms kind of helped. Oh, so maybe <laughs> so she was trying to tell you something like, hey, try these so, out. <laughs> may make you so, feel better, mom. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it did kind of help. It wasn't quite the same. My morning sickness was still god awful and medication. They never wanted to give me medication to treat it. And I wish that they would have because I was basically puking all day long. The nausea never went away. And it's still kind of there now. Oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible. It's not anywhere near as bad as it was while I was pregnant, but it did. It has kind of lingered. I'm guessing that it'll probably completely subside in the next couple of months. Anyway, his scans of his head for the antibody thing 
were a little bit worse off than his sisters. And so for that reason, I kind of knew that he was probably going to come out needing help. And he did. I went to another hospital in another town about an hour and a half away because they allow vaginal births after two cesareans and they will induce you. And they don't require you to have been previously seeing a provider affiliated with their hospital. You still do your prenatal care with your current OBGYN or midwife or whoever your practitioner is, but they will specifically handle your labor and your birth and your postpartum. If you so choose, you have to go into the OBER for a consult at 36 weeks to get approved by their in-house physicians. So I did that and they approved me for a VBAC and they induced me about a week later. Labor itself was actually a really awesome labor. I mean, yes, it was pretty awesome. They first tried to do cook catheter, but I had like the one with the double end. Yeah, that's a cook one. Cook is two. Yeah, mine was two. Yeah. Because I was super thick, so they were like, okay, well, you're probably going to need two to make yeah. it do anything. Yeah. And it still didn't do ish. Oh, darn. <laughs> so they kept pulling on it. I'm like, ow, <sighs> this isn't helping. This isn't getting me anywhere. Can we just start Pitocin already? Yeah. At least, you know, get the roll. They placed the balloon July 28th is when they placed the balloon at around 11 o'clock. And then, you know, it goes into the next day. So the 29th at around two o'clock is when I start having contractions. No Pitocin yet. So again, very sporadic and not very painful, very tolerable. I can walk, I can talk, I can bounce on the ball. And my doula shows up because I was pretty fortunate and I had a doula who happens to be a very dear friend of mine. All you doulas out there. I wish all women had access to doulas because I do think it makes such a difference, especially when you're in the position of going for a VBAC. And while people like to say that VBACs are becoming more tolerated, I don't feel like they are. No. It's still like In not some areas, very... yes. But but yeah, we still have a long way to go. In bigger cities, like maybe, maybe like Manhattan or some places in California, maybe. But if most people don't live in those cities <laughs> with those resources. But I was I was pretty lucky to live in proximity to one that was, you know, accessible to me, thankfully. So Medulla shows up. And, you know, she's talking about what my birth plan is and the staff comes in to place my IV and they first try it here. And I tell them, don't do that. It's going to blow. You ain't going to get it. You're just going to be putting it. Well, let me just try it anyway. I've been told I'm good at these and I should have said, no, you will put it anti-cubital or you're not putting one in at all. And if you want me to have a baby, I would suggest you just put it where I'm telling you it'll work. So yeah, they try it here and it fails as I told them it would. So then they try to go here and I'm like, it's going to blow. You ain't going to get it. (laughs) And if you do get it, it's going to infiltrate later. And when you go to flush it, I'm going to scream. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're like, just listen to me from the start. Just okay. This is me. where this is where the best one is. Come on. This I know you don't like it, but yeah. I'm telling you it works. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they finally do put it here and it stays good for about a day. Like I told them it would. I told them yeah. they would probably still have to pull it later, but it will stay good for a day. And it's because while I don't swell in like face or hands or feet while I'm pregnant, I do like retain a lot of fluid in the arm areas. Yeah. So, so I, your veins just aren't yeah. really popping good. Yeah. They're just they're just not really happening. They ain't trying to cooperate. Anyway, they start the Pitocin and it doesn't really do much for the first hour or couple hours. I mean, yes, I had contractions. Yes, they hurt, but they were not bad. And I remember the nurse, she's hanging up the Pitocin bag on the IV and I'm like, do I need to be scared? 
for what that stuff's going to do to my uterus. And she's like, no, baby, <laughs> you don't need to be scared. Let's just think about your baby right now. <laughs> she kind of gave me the rundown on how to read the fetal heart rate monitor, because I think she sensed that because they knew the story of my daughter and they knew that I was scared to labor. But they also knew that the reasons that I wanted to labor as opposed to having another C-section and that it was very valid if I wanted more kids. If I didn't want more kids, then I may have just opted for another C-section. But because I may want more, I thought, you know, I kind of explained that already, but neither here nor there, I guess. So she kind of gave me the quick rundown on how to read it and then told me, you know, if at any time you're concerned, feel free to call me and I'll sit in here with you and we'll watch the baby together to make sure that he's happy. I said, okay, okay. She also gave me the warning signs on what to look for for a uterine rupture, which if none of you know what that is, that is where the scar on your uterus from your prior C-section incision breaks open with contractions and the force of your baby against the scar. And for some unlucky women, not it can things. burst. Yeah, it can burst. It's usually not catastrophic. I was the pretty like less than 10% of uterine ruptures are catastrophic ruptures. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but it's something like that. It's not very common, like first off to happen for moms who are V-backing. But for those who it does happen to, yes, it's not catastrophic 100% of the time. Yeah. And of course, the more C-sections you've had, the higher the risk. Correct. For one C-section, I want to say the risk of a uterine rupture is like 0.9%, not very high at all. But even for two, it's only like, what, 1%? Another couple points. Yeah. Yeah. Still very small. It's it's basically nothing. After like three or four is when you start getting into the five, six, seven percent range. And at that point, I don't think I would choose to. That's just me. I know a woman who had a VBAC after five. Wow. Wow. I'm not that gutsy, but... (laughs) I was going to say most providers wouldn't even do it. A lot of providers will do it, you know, two, okay, three, maybe probably, three, yeah, but five. Count- no. Counseling the pregnant yeah. person, you know, I personally wouldn't, but I will give you the option if you want to try. After three, though, I would not. But again, that's because I've had a loss and I'm only willing to take so many risks. Not saying anything about anyone who chooses to take those risks. You know, people's explanations and people's wants are just as valid as mine. All right. The sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right. This one says, just wanted to drop in and say that I was able to squeeze in a majority of your natural birth class before having my sweet daughter today. And OMG, I am so glad I watched and rewatched your breathing techniques and labor positions. We successfully had an unmedicated birth. I feel like a rock star right now. And I have to say, I used as many of the things I learn from your videos. As I could remember, they came in clutch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I love that one. If you want to check out the class that this gal took, she took Birth It Up the Natural Series and you can head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on the natural series. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. So yeah, we were talking about, and the nurse came in, she was more than willing to sit with you if you had any questions about the fetal monitor. Yes, yes, she did. And she did. There is, I would say, probably once or twice every hour. And I want to say that this nurse, I was her only patient. Good. Be back yeah. patients at that hospital, it's one to one, one yeah. nurse to one patient. Yeah. So she was in with me a good majority of the time. I did rotate through some nurses. My day shift nurses, I felt like were 
better than the night shift nurses. I know that's not everywhere. That was just my experience. But one nurse in particular, just the bee's knees. I remember her name is Janelle. Like Janelle or started with a J. (laughs) That much I remember. But she did. She came in probably once or twice an hour after me calling her. And I'm like, does this look okay to you? Because my daughter's strip looked like that at some point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she wasn't okay. So can you just, and she did. Yeah. And she never complained about it. She never complained. I probably blew her up. God knows how many times through the course of my labor, but it never faced her. <laughs> that is okay. That is what we are here for is if you have questions, it try to ease your fears and answer your questions. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that for the two babies I had after my loss, most of the nurses I came into contact with were heartfelt individuals. Good. Yeah. It sounds cared. like you just had a really, really bad apple that first time. I did. I just had a really bad staff the first time. Yeah. yeah. I did. But that's not speaking for everyone in the medical field because yeah. there are some wonderful people working in healthcare and healthcare heroes, as we're now calling them. But they are so undercompensated. My God. That <laughs> those people deserve <laughs> Emmys. Along with I mean, I brain. would agree with you, but <laughs> you deserve it, my friend. <laughs> Anyway, so that continued. We continued with the Pitocin and it took about two days and I did end up getting the epidural. I went in saying, I'm going to go without it as long as I can. Yeah. And I did. I went probably 13, 14 hours of active labor before I got it. Wow. Yeah. And that was back to back contractions, active labor, not. Yeah. Not Those Pitocin contractions, labor. yeah, they're no joke. Not fun. Yeah. For those of you who have never had a Pitocin contraction, imagine period cramps mixed with being stabbed in your kidney. Yeah. Repeatedly. Yeah. And that is a Pitocin yeah. contraction. That's a good way to describe them, actually. <laughs> My doula was a great source of distraction because I would sit on my labor ball and she would sit on a chair in front of me and I would like put my like arms like up on her legs and she would like hold on to my head and she's like, okay, here comes a contraction. We're not going to scream. We're going to do nice box breathing. Mm-hmm. I would say that was probably the most helpful part because she would do counter pressure sometimes, but I felt like the more head in the hands thing was more effective for me yeah. than the counter pressure was. Cool. Yeah. I also really like to do the thing where you sit on the labor ball and you take off the delivery part of the bed Mm -hmm. and then you kind of just hunch over like and lean over the bed Mm -hmm. and you kind of rock. I did a lot of that. I did a lot of runner's lunge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's called runner's lunge or jackknife or something like that. I can't exactly remember. I call it uh, the fire hydrant. The fire hydrant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did a lot of that. That was more after I had an epidural, but considering my epidural still didn't work. I mean, I guess it's not technically true. It worked for like the first three hours. I could still feel the pressure, but I didn't feel pain. However, after that three hours, it stopped working. Mm. (laughs) And I was back to screaming and crying in pain and doula head and hands and box breathing, which at that point, box breathing was not doing shit. Yeah. Were you just more dilated at this point? Yeah, maybe. That's probably something to do with it. And again, the scoliosis probably also has something to do with it. Yeah. But they came in to check me and they tried to do limited checks throughout this experience because there's 
always the risk of infection. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know, maybe three o'clock. You know, she's not really moving in station or he's, I'm sorry, he is not really moving in station. I get their pregnancies confused all the freaking time. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Once you've had so many, yeah. <laughs> my son just wasn't really moving in station. Okay. He was minus three when we started and he was still, you know, minus three. And they're like, you know, let's get the ultrasound in here and make sure there's not a cord there preventing him. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I kind of brought that up was because his heart rate started to slightly decrease. Nothing mm. compared to Sophie's, but it was just slight. It was enough to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. So that compared with the him not moving made me concerned about the cord. So the doctor came in to check me and he's like, I feel a four bag. But at first he's like, I don't really feel anything. And then he's like, I think this is a four bag. We're going to get an ultrasound in here just to make sure that there's no cord in front of the baby's head. Yeah. That's preventing him from descending. So they brought it in and the nurse prepares me for a C-section because I had told her, you know, if it looks like there's going to be a cord there, we go, just we go go. in, we go, go. we're not going to wait around. We're not going to do any waiting and say, nope, if it looks like there's a cord there, if there's even a suspicion, there's a cord there, we're just going to go. We're going to go. You're going to knock me out. You're going to take him out. Screw a vaginal birth at that point. Right. (laughs) Luckily, though, the ultrasound confirmed that there was no cord in his way. He was just taking his dear sweet time. Okay. So I'm like, okay. Okay. And they're like, you know, do you want us to break your water? And I'm like, no. Yeah. I don't. That was a hard limit. And I actually had it in my birth plan under no circumstance that I want my water broken. Yeah. Yeah. And I did know that if my water never broke and I didn't allow them to break it and things just weren't moving, that I would have to have a C-section. But I would rather the C-section than break my water. And then potentially have to face the repercussions of letting someone break my water. So I just, I wasn't willing. That was a hard line that was not going to get crossed. And they never asked. They never brought it up. Not once. They never said, hey, let's break your water. Nope. They were very respectful of the boundaries I drew, which, God, I'm so grateful for. Because when you are pregnant after a loss, even if it's your third, fourth, fifth pregnancy after a loss, you still go back to the pregnancy of your loss and you internalize everything. You are scared of absolutely everything. And there's just not a lot of anyone trying to convince you that everything's going to be fine because you're just, you're prepared for it to not be fine because you were the 3% then what means that I'm not going to be the 3% now. And for those of you who don't know what that statistic means, 3% is the chance of a cord prolapse. So that was kind of my thought process there is if there's even a suspicion, then we're just going to go and we're going to take him out by seasick. Luckily for me, his cord was not in the way. Thank God. They up the Pitocin. I think it's like an 18 or maybe a 20. My water breaks on its own at oh. like uh 10, 20, 10, 30 ish. I can't exactly okay. remember. And I call the nurse and she comes in. She's like, yep, your water's broken. And she's like, he is minus two. And okay. I'm like, okay. Okay, he's starting to descend. It's we know the down. cord is not in his way. He's just yeah. taking his time, yeah. which I'm like, that's normal. Yeah, It is normal for inductions to take time. So I continue to labor throughout the night. This is when my epidural starts to not work so well. Okay. When it gets to like six, seven o'clock in the morning is when it starts to not work very well. I start having a burning sensation and you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh God, my uterus is rupturing. 
but it wasn't in my abdomen. It was in my nether regions. Yeah. And it was from him. I'm sure. Yes. His head was like, there was a lot of water there. So it was like trying to force it Mm -hmm. and it was causing it to burn like really bad. It was so bad that it made me want to scream. And in fact, uh, I think I did. If I remember correctly, I did scream. Because <laughs> it was just so painful. Yeah. And they're like, you know, when it came to be, because he was born at one eighteen p.m. So when it came to be about 9, the doctor came in to check. And he's like, you're a 9. Oh. Barely a lip left. But okay. the baby is still high. Baby is still like minus 2, hasn't budged. So he was like, okay, we're going to sit you up in high throne. Which, okay, that amount of pain. Woo, boy. <laughs> It is some of the worst pain I think I've ever experienced in my life. Oh. Because worse, I'm already, I'm feeling pushy already. Yeah. But I can't because Because he's, he's all the way up there. Yeah. He's all the way up here and we need him to come down here. Yeah. So they put me up in high throne and I'm like sitting like this with my hands under my butt, kind of like trying to take the pressure off my freaking poor vagina. And maybe an hour later, I start screaming, I need to push. He's coming out. I need to push him to push right now. And the nurse comes in like, no, you don't. We were just here. You're all right. And I'm like, lady, I need to freaking push. Now. <laughs> Not an hour from now. Now. <laughs> but she keeps putting it off. Oh. And like, no, you don't. And I'm like, yes, I did. And so finally she's like, all right, fine. The charger comes in and she checks. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so did we're the now- throne... The throne position worked. So the throne position worked. Did he come down? Okay. Okay. Yeah, he came down. So he was zero station and 10, nothing left. And the doctor comes in to check and, he, and he's like, yeah, you're complete. You can push. There was not a lot of me pushing. Okay. Yeah. No, that baby was coming out. <laughs> so he pushed his, himself he? out. He pushed himself out basically. <laughs> So, but I did do a lot of like side pushing because my back was in a lot of pain. So I did like a lot of side pushing. I wanted to push on like hands and knees, but my legs were not strong enough to hold the weight. So I did side and I then flipped over to my back when he was like coming out so I could pull him out, which I ended up not being able to do just because I had the ring of fire and it was not even worth to describe that. Yeah. Just yeah. Um, yeah. Ring of fire is a pretty good description, but <laughs> anyway. I'd give like one good solid push as I'm laying towards my right. And then his head is like about to come out. So the nurse down there holding it. She's like, oh my God. Okay. Where, where, where's the doctor? We need him right now. Cause this baby's about to come out. In my hands. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor comes in. He doesn't even have time to put gloves on. Oh, really? There was no putting things on. And yeah, he basically just catches him at the last minute. <laughs> He really pushed himself out. He pushed himself out. Yeah. There was not a lot of uh, me pushing. I had to do a little bit, but not really any at all. Oh, my gosh. Addie, so how did it feel to now have this vaginal birth? Like after having Sophie, you know, via an emergency C-section and then having more of a planned C-section with your daughter and now having this VBAC that your baby just popped out of you. I felt like I had uh, won a Grammy. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> in fact, there's like a, a kind of like a running thing in the VBAC community of women sitting in the bed holding their babies or in the water if they happen to have a water birth, if they happen to be birthing at home, with them pumping their hand up in the air. Yeah. I did that. That's probably my favorite picture of, of the whole 
birthing experience was taking that picture because I was just so proud of myself. Mm. And it was very good for my healing process too, because it just kind of solidified I can have a normal delivery with a healthy baby at the end. He did end up staying in the NICU for the anemia and you know, he ended up needing two rounds of IVIG, which is intravenous immunoglobulin to combat my antibodies. But he was good after that. He spent about six days in the NICU and then we brought him home. He has been my screamer. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he never stops. <laughs> never. Oh, so sweet. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I have a request if you are willing to send it. Do you mind sending me that picture of you? And we can put it when we do our show notes for the podcast. We can put it on that page. I sure can. Okay. I can also send you a picture of, of Sophie if you would like that as well. Yeah, that's perfect. Send whatever pictures you want. Yeah, that sounds great to just have that like at the very top of the page. So it was wonderful. <laughs> that was easily my favorite birth experience of yeah. the four babies that I've delivered. That last one was my favorite as oh. far as like labor and having a baby goes. Yeah, I love it. Because it, oh. it just kind of went to solidify. I can have a normal pregnancy. Yep. I can have a normal birth. I can have a good staff that cares what happens to my baby. He can come out vaginally and we can all be good at the end of the day. And that was what I needed. That started the healing process, actually, finally healing from my daughter's loss. It did wonders for kickstarting that healing. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. It was such a pleasure to sit down with you. Do you want to share any, do you have any social media of or people if they want to follow along, see any pictures of you or anything you want to share? Yes, sure. I have an Instagram. It is Rex. Cool. Cool. We'll put <laughs> it in the show notes. You'll have to put it in the show notes, but yeah, it's Instagram dash Rex. You can also find me on Twitch. I have a Twitch channel. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. I am cool. very bad at playing video games, but nonetheless, you can find me on Twitch. But it's, it's entertaining, I'm sure. <laughs> it is very entertaining. It's twitch.tv slash call me ads. ADDS. Cool. Call me ADDS. You can find me on Facebook. Just type in Elizabeth Adelie Wyman. There's only one of me on there. So yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes and yeah, for people to check you out if they want to check you out. Thank you so much, Addie, for sitting down with me. This was such a pleasure and I'm so happy that you were able to tell that story in the full detail that you did. It was just so wonderful. Thank you so much for having me and for helping to give my baby and all the babies that we never got to take home the voice that they deserve. And I just hope that someone hears my story and knows that if that's where they're finding themselves, that there is a life after, even if it feels like there's not. Yeah. Very well said. Well, thank you. But thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast 
for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.